All right, everybody. Um, welcome back. It's been a long time. Uh, but welcome back to AP Human Geography in 20 Minutes. I'm your host, Mr. Linder. Uh, it is Monday, May 25th, Memorial Day. And today we are um, talking about urbanization, which is our sixth unit um, in AP Human Geography. It is uh, one of the units. Um, along with the uh, development and industrialization that is not being tested or was not tested on the AP exam this year. Um, A lot of this stuff, again, I'm going to be flying through it very quickly. Don't expect you guys to understand everything. um, But if you literally have nothing else to do um, but to listen to me and uh, go through this unit, then you now have that option to be able to do that. So I'm going to be going through the study guide here. Um, So first of all, talking about urbanization in MDCs versus LDCs. Um, LDC regions of the world, especially places like Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, are the most rapidly urbanizing. So they they are mainly rural now, but they are their cities are growing. They are very quickly urbanizing. Whereas in MDCs, most people live in urban or suburban areas. And upwards of eighty percent of people in MDCs live in urban or suburban areas. So MDCs are more urban now, but LDCs are rapidly urbanizing. Uh, mega cities and world cities. So world cities, uh, and they have different sub-levels, are basically how connected are you globally? So the three main, they call them like A plus or A plus plus world cities are uh, London, Tokyo, and New York. Um, and then you have several different um, you know, levels beneath that. So like what, what makes those three cities world cities? Well, they're, they're major centers for, um, for finance, um, for... Uh, fashion, for pop culture, um, and things like that. So obviously around our country, we have several other uh, world centers. Washington, D.C. is a major world government center. Um, Los Angeles is a major world center for the film industry. Um, Chicago is a, um, is, is a main city for, uh, for in, uh, industrial um, work and that sort of thing. So we have a lot of sub-level world cities uh, within our country as well. And obviously other regions of the world have it too. Mega cities are cities around the world that have more than 10 million people in them. Um, the vast majority of these mega cities today are actually in LDC places. And that is where um, we have the most rapid urbanization as well. So places like China and India um, have some of the, the largest mega cities um, in the world today. Um, Tokyo has the largest city in the world. Somewhere around like 30 million people are in Tokyo. Um, London is somewhere around like 20 million. New York is around like 12 or something like that. But the vast majority of mega cities, which again are cities with more than 10 million people, are in the LDC regions of the world today. Um, Distinctions between urban and rural, what separates those two two places? Um, Obviously, a big thing is um, densely populated um, areas. So the more densely populated you are, typically the more more urban areas. you are the more dispersed you are the the less densely populated you you are the more the more rural um other things are levels of services so what are we able to access in places like washington dc that you can't access in places like uh percival um versus what can you access in places like um like ashburn so there are major distinctions in what we have access to in places like dc versus ashburn versus percival um that uh, help us delineate between urban, suburban, and rural locations. Uh, CBDs, central business districts, 
um, historically, it is, um, they were places of industry. Um, that's where you would have like these industrial plants that would be like eight or 10 levels high. Um, they were usually located near a river um, as part of kind of the industrial revolution. That's where we started to see um, you know, industrial growth uh, in the city. Today, it, it's very different. Today, we have, obviously, you still have high rises and things like that. But that's where we have major centers of population. Um, it's where you have major like uh, financial centers for uh, Fortune 500 companies and things like that. But you're not like building things. You're not putting together cars. You're not putting together um, anything I- industrially in a city anymore. That mainly is done now in, in rural spaces where you have more room to spread out. And then land value and the bid rent theory. All that that's saying is that generally, the closer you move into a city center, um, the closer you get to that CBD the more expensive the, you know, the land value is, um, land becomes, um, less, uh, or it becomes more densely crowded. There's more competition for it. And therefore the land is more expensive. Um, spatial organization of cities. So there's several models that we typically look at in this unit. Um, the first two models, the concentric zone model and the sector model are based off of the same city. They're based off of Chicago. Um, and so the idea is that obviously you have the CBD, you have the central business district in the center. And then in the concentric zone model, it almost looks like the von Thunen model. You have different rings of types of uh, spaces or types of things that are occurring in, in each concentric ring. So the middle ring, the first ring is the CBD. Uh, the second ring is industry. The third ring is low income housing. The fourth ring is middle uh, middle-class housing, and the fifth ring is what they call the commuter zone. So that's in the concentric zone model. The sector model says no, cities are based more off of like sectors like a pie. So you still have the CBD in the center, then you've got one piece of the pie that is your um, industry, one piece of the pie that's low-income housing, one piece that's middle-income, one piece that's uh, high-income, and they, they kind of branch out like that. Again, both of these models are based off of the same city. They're both ba- based off of Chicago. So they, there's some you know, pros and cons to, to both of these. Then you've got what's called the multiple nuclei model, which says you, know, you actually have kind of many cities spread out amongst all of the areas surrounding a, a city. So for example, um, you know, outside of DC, you've got Tyson's Corner, or you know something something like that. So there's multiple nodes. It's almost like more of a nodal region type type model applied to a city. Um, all three of those are relatively outdated. Um, a newer model is called the peripheral model. It's also called the galactic city model, and it it, it really um, very perfectly applies to DC. So imagine that you've got you know your city, you've got your CBD in the center, then you've got the Beltway Highway that rings it right and off of that Beltway Highway, you have several other what they call edge cities that spring up um, around the Beltway. So again, something like Tyson's or even um, Leesburg, uh, Frederick, Maryland, Rockville, Maryland, you know, the, these places that are kind of along the Beltway, you know, ish or close to it or off of major spines of, of highway um, where you start to see a lot of kind of suburban growth. Um, so that's the peripheral model and it's it really corresponds well to American cities, um, especially with the interstate highway system. Um, in European cities, uh, usually what you have is more high-class housing uh, closer to the city center and in, in more poorer housing in the suburbs. So it's actually kind of flipped from what it is in 
in the United States. In the United States, we tend to think of more lower-income housing closer to the city and more expensive housing in the suburbs. So Euro- European, it's, it's flipped. Uh, with developing countries, especially countries in like South America and Central America, again, it's a very similar thing where you have um, really, really expensive housing in, in the center of the city. Then you've got almost like abject poverty on, on the outskirts. A good example of this is Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Um, it's where they had the, the Olympics in uh, 2012, I think. And um, the center of Rio de Janeiro, there's a very famous beach there called Copacabana. Uh, it's just full of these you know, rich, ridiculously rich you know, homes and ridiculous, ridiculously rich people, all this culture and all this stuff. But you get to the suburbs and there's homes that are made out of cinder blocks and um, tin roofs. And they don't have electricity and they don't have running water. They don't have access to all these services. And oftentimes they're squatter, what we call squatter housing, um, where people don't even really own the rights to be there. And they have kind of just assembled ramshackle housing um, on the edges of, of these cities. Um, inner city problems, uh, so social and underclass problems. Um, underclass is what we typically refer to as a, a group of people, oftentimes uh, homeless people or people in extreme poverty that kind of um, literally are, are beneath the function of the city and they, they are often like forgotten about. They are ignored. Um, obviously, if you go through major cities, you guys have probably been in D.C. before and, you, and, and seen like uh, tent villages and stuff where, where homeless people live. Um, and so those are obviously major issues that cities have to deal with, whether um, it has to do with um, mental health issues, um, drug abuse, um, or anything like that. And oftentimes the, those things are intertwined. Um, with, with economic and public housing, um, you know, with public housing, uh, it's, it's subsidized by the government. So you, if you are um, a part of public housing, if, if you live in public housing, you have to pay 20% of your income as, as rent. Um, but obviously, again, that then gets subsidized by the government. Um, and so cities have to decide, like, are we going to put all of our public housing in one place um, or are we going to spread it out? You know, a lot of people don't want to live next to a public housing development because it drives their home values down. But if you put a lot of public housing together, oftentimes that has led to crime and things like that. In places like Chicago, um, they put a lot of public housing in these giant high-rise apartments uh, and, and they were terrible. They were um, they spread crime, and uh, eventually a lot of them were were torn down. So um, cities have a lot of things to deal with and think about with how they want to address public housing. And then you also have um, urban renewal and gentrification. More often now, in the last twenty years, you have a lot of these uh, lower income neighborhoods that people that are wealthier are moving into, and they are revitalizing. And in one sense, that's great. They're moving into these neighborhoods. They're revitalizing them, just like the Navy Yard down where the um, the Nationals ballpark is. 20 years ago, that was not a des- desirable neighborhood. Now you're looking at you know one bedroom apartments that are going for you know thirty five hundred dollars a month. And so it, it's great in one sense that you are revitalizing these neighborhoods, but in another sense, it's like, well, why didn't we you know help take care of the people that were there before? And what are we doing about these people now? Oftentimes, you're just pushing them to the next neighborhood over, or in this case, you know, out of D.C. entirely into into Maryland or into Virginia. You're just saying, all right, you know, it's not our problem now. Let somebody else, you know, deal deal with these these lower income folks, um, which is not a good thing either. Um, urban sprawl is a big problem in the United States. Um, if you don't know what urban sprawl or suburbanization is. 
Um, all you have to do is look out your window and you will see that in Ashburn, Virginia. Um, in places, uh, you know, again, in the United States, we see edge cities like Tyson's pop up um, that are kind of these, um, you know, cities within themselves that are very, very close to places like Washington, D.C., um, in places like Great Britain, their suburban growth is confined to very, very specific plots of land. So instead of having a giant suburb like Ashburn, um, imagine everybody in Ashburn instead like living in um, either in Reston or in Leesburg or something like that. And all the space in between is just open. It's, it's farmland. Um, it cuts down on suburban sprawl. It cuts down on commuting times. It makes it easier to have... Um, you know, trains and public transport and things like that. Then also you have, you know, the congestion of the large city move to these, these kind of smaller edge cities as well. Um, that kind of gets into um, part eight there, uh, smart growth. The idea again is that, you know, if you're commuting from, from Ashburn to DC, that's a long commute. You're going to be sitting in traffic. You're going to be burning fossil fuels. Um, you're going to be spending hours in your car, um, there might be a better way for us to think about how we expand our suburbs um, in these urban areas to cut down on some of those things and, and to make sure that we're being responsible in our growth and, and sustainable in our growth. Um, number nine, the central place theory. Um, so what that is, is if you offer a service, whether it is a business, whether it is um, you know, like a, a, an orchestra or a, a sporting, um, like, a, like a stadium or a restaurant or whatever, you have to decide two things. You have to um, take into account the range. So how far are, are people willing to go to utilize your business and the threshold? Basically, what do you need to, to break even, right? So let's take Nationals Park. People are willing to drive, you know, probably several hours to go to a to a Nats game, right? So the range is is pretty far. The range is beyond Leesburg. The range is up to Baltimore. The range is down, maybe even to you know to Richmond. Um, and the threshold, you need several thousand people there every every night, you know, to be able to break even, right? Um, compare that to like a dry cleaner. Okay, no one, none of you in Ashburn need to drive down to D.C. to go to a dry cleaner. You've got dry cleaners, you know, all around you at you know, Junction Plaza or or some of the other ones um, out there in Ashburn. So the range and threshold for something like a dry cleaner or a restaurant um, or a grocery store is going to be very, very different than the range and threshold for um, the the Kennedy Center or Nats Ballpark or you know the Smithsonian or or something like that. And so central place theory deals with kind of these overlapping ranges and thresholds that they call, you know, it's basically called the, the hinterland where I, as a person who offers a service, am drawing my, you know, my people, my range from um, who are going to come and, and, and make up the, you know, the majority of my business. So I have to decide where I'm going to locate my business based on that range and threshold. Um, rank size rule versus primate city rule is talking about how um, cities are kind of dispersed uh, based on population throughout a, a country. So a country like England or a country like France follows the primate city rule. What that means is that their largest city um, has well more than double the population of their second largest city. Um, now, what that means is that those two cities, London and Paris, you know, they have um, a bunch of economic growth and cultural amenities and all this cool stuff that's going on in their city 
But then that oftentimes means that the rest of their country gets neglected and the rest of their country doesn't have maybe the job opportunities or um, you know, the quality of hospitals or schools or things like that that London or Paris does. Compare that to a rank-sized rural country, where basically what that means is that the second largest city in a country will have half the population of a larger city, of the largest city. The third largest city in a country will have one-third uh, the largest the population of the largest city in the country. The fourth largest city will have one-fourth the population of the largest city, and so on and so forth. The United States follows the rank size rule. LA has about half the population of New York. Um, Chicago has about a third of the population of New York. Houston has about a fourth of the population of New York. And what that means is that our services are more evenly spread out throughout our country. So we have several centers of you know, health and education and culture and all these different things spread throughout our, our country. Um, going off of that, then within um, our country, we have something, or within our cities, we have something called the economic base. Um, and that breaks down the types of businesses that we have and the types of industries we have within our cities. So, non basic industries um, are usually utilized by people within your, um, within your city, within your, um, within your hinterland, within your um, city limits. A basic industry is something that somebody is willing to go outside um, of their city or outside of their settlement to access um, within your um, within your city. So your economic base is your combination of basic and non-basic industries uh, within your within your settlement. And then we have what's called the gravity model. Um, and with cities, with urbanization, and, and with services, um, basically. Uh, the gravity model is, you know, the larger your city is, the more amenities, the more services, the more things it's going to have that people want. Therefore, it's going to attract more people. Therefore, there are, are also going to be more large cities close to it, right? Look at, um, look at our, our coast. Look at uh, New York City. Hey, if I go north of, of New York, I get into Hartford and Boston and places like that. If I go south... I get into Philadelphia and Baltimore and DC. So I have these major cities that are all relatively close to one another and they attract people and they attract businesses and they attract services and they attract all these things, just like something that has a larger mass, a larger gravitational pull would. Um, similarly, on the West Coast, right, I've got Los Angeles and you know, just south of Los Angeles, I've got San Diego. and Just west of Los Angeles, I've got Phoenix and Las Vegas and places like that. Just north of Los Angeles, you know, I've got um, San Jose and San Francisco and, and Sacramento um, and Portland and, and Seattle. So those, those large um, agglomerations, those large you know, overlapping cities, met, overlapping metropolitan statistical areas are going to attract people. They're going to attract services, um, education. Uh, good hospitals, um, all that is kind of based on this this concept of of the gravity model. All right, I can't believe that anybody is still listening. If you are still listening, that is just wonderful. Hope everybody has a great week. Uh, we've got one more week of this where we're going to look at Unit Seven. Um, I hope everybody is staying safe, staying healthy. Uh, hopefully, I will see you guys soon. If not, make sure. Um, I don't know. I'm rambling. Whatever. Adios.